They're saying, look at how good we are in our praying. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about heartfelt sincerity, true prayer before the Lord, destroys the pride of man. If you get up off your knees with more arrogance, get back on your knees. Because that's not the result of true prayer. We are weak. He is strong. We believe a lie when we tell ourselves that it's us doing something in our own strength. That is a lie. And it robs him of the glory due his name. Nobody likes to admit that. I'm the first one to admit that I don't like to admit that. (laughs) I don't like saying I can't. I don't like saying I'm incapable, I'm inadequate. But the truth is, beloved, I'm incapable, I'm inadequate. I'm fully dependent. I, don't, I, can't, I can't say that I'll do it. Oh, I'll do it. You know how many times I have said I'll do it and I didn't do it because I couldn't do it? And there's the Lord, so kind and gracious, in forgiveness, and then empowerment. So you say I'll do it, you wreck everything, He forgives you and then works through you to accomplish His good purpose for His glory and for your joy, all at the same time. No wonder he says, be still and know that I am God. He doesn't say, get to work and know I'm God. He says, be still and know that I am the Lord. As I've been told most of my life, you have two ears, one mouth. Pay attention to the the object lesson there. God wants you to listen. Keep your mouth quiet and listen carefully to him. And so as I think about that concept and then I come to the Lord's Prayer, I go, wow, this is amazing. Because the Lord's Prayer, if you pay careful attention to it, in sincerity, you genuinely pray this prayer, this obliterates my, our, our pride before the King. Because look, look at it with me, guys. Our Father in heaven. So he's in heaven, sovereign ruler over all things. Hallowed be your name. In other words, I want God's name, now remember, not just his name, but his person, his whole being, I want you to be seen as holy. I want you to receive the prestige. I want you to receive all of the honor that is due your name. I don't want it. I want you to have it. Remove me and you go to the spotlight. I want your kingdom to come, not my kingdom. Remember when the two disciples came? Well, they... They had their mom come to Jesus, and she said, hey, what if uh, you know, he's over here and he's over here on your right and on your left? They're still looking for their own prestige. This prayer is, God, I want your kingdom to come. I want you to be glorified in your kingdom. I want your will to be done. Not my will, not the will of the people. I want the will of God to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, supply my daily bread and all that's attached with that. Because somebody could say, well, I worked hard. I earned that daily bread. Where'd you get the energy? Where'd you get the breath? Where'd you get the you? It's all of grace. This sovereign God has given this all of grace. That's why we're asking him for our daily sustenance. Give me bread, just the bread. Lord, please, I need everything to flow from you. And then last week, God, forgive me for my debts. 
another word for sin. Forgive me for my sin, and God, enable me to be forgiving those who've sinned against me. And then lastly, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, the, the main thrust of what I want you to see in this prayer, beloved, this morning in particular, is do you see the dependency in this prayer? That's what I, I don't want... I don't want this series to come by you without you recognizing this. This is one of the most impacting pieces of the study for me is the dependency upon the Lord seen in prayer. That's why, it, that's why it obliterates our pride because when we come to God in prayer, we're not coming to God to inform Him about our greatness. We're coming to Him to lay before Him and say, I can't, you can I want you to be glorified. I want you to be honored. You are the Father who is in heaven. I want your name to be hallowed. And I am desperate for your provision for me. Do you see this? How do I put this? When somebody gets saved, like, you know, they're a brand new believer, and they, they truly come to Christ. It's always interesting, now this happens throughout the Christian life, so don't miss me on that, but it's always interesting to see just where the Lord may shine his flashlight first in that person's life. And then over the years, he just keeps shining a flashlight, different little corners of our lives, revealing to us, here's where I'm working, now here's where I'm working, now here's where I'm working. And as he's doing that in our lives, as we've come to him, It's like a brand new pair of glasses, and you put on the glasses, but then he gives you another prescription, and another prescription, and another prescription. Because if God gave you a perfect prescription to see who you are and who he is the day of your conversion, you will faint. But in his grace, he goes, hey, check this out. And you put it on, you go, wow, I'm I'm really bad. And then the next year, hey, I got another prescription. Wow, I'm really bad. (laughs) And keeps going. But at the same time, your prescription, you're saying, wow, he's good. Next year, oh man, I had no idea how good he was. Next year, I'm speechless at the grace of the living God in my life. And in the midst of that, I believe the further we grow in our faith in Christ, the more we recognize our dependency upon him, and in that, the more we grow in our love in the fact of our dependency upon him. Because we were believing a lie before. See, what's all that's happening, beloved, is now we're in line with truth. Before, we just lied to ourselves that we were strong. You're not. I'm not. Before, we lied to ourselves that we were adequate. I'm not. You're not. Before we told ourselves that we were the measure of all things, no, you're not at all. Neither am I. And the more we grow in grace and the knowledge of who God is, who Christ is, all under the scope of the gospel, the more we are in awe at his greatness, which is what we were designed to be, is a people who live in awe at the greatness of another, not of ourselves. So why would it surprise us that when Jesus actually sits down with his disciples and they say, Lord, teach us how to pray, and he teaches them prayer, as he's teaching that, he's also teaching this further lesson of, you guys are totally dependent upon the sovereign king. You show me somebody who has humility, 
And I believe a prayer life, a powerful prayer life will be attached, and vice versa. Because what that reveals, beloved, is that we really don't trust us. We trust another. Prayer is not just there for us to say before dinner and to say in church. Prayer is a consistent, at times by God's grace, an unbroken communication with Almighty God. So this last tenant, this last pillar of this prayer, the disciples' prayer, not the Lord's prayer, this last tenant that he gives here is, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil, or another translation is from the evil one. So lead us not into temptation. That might read to you a little strange right off the bat, because you go, well, hold on a sec. Why on earth would he pray that God should not lead him into temptation? God never tempts anyone with the intent to force them to sin. Let me, let me just show you that real clear from the Bible. James chapter 1, and we're going to be flipping through a bunch of verses for a few minutes, so um, you can listen or you can, or you can jump in with me. James chapter 1, uh, verse 13. And it says, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Okay, now, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. I would imagine a bunch of you have this to memory. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may, may be able to endure it. Isn't this fascinating, you guys? He provides a way of escape so you can endure it. You catch how that's a little bit tricky? It doesn't say, he provides a way of escape so you can escape. He says he provides a way of escape so you can endure it, meaning you can press through that temptation. But God does, however, allow us to be tested for his good purpose in our lives. So let me show you a couple other passages. James chapter 1, verse 2. James chapter 1, 2 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Remember Job? Remember the story of Job? Do you remember who points Job out to Satan? Who? I'm sorry, I'm getting older. <laughs> not really, I'm, not, I'm getting younger. No, so God said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? God opened Job up to that. Satan came to him numerous times. Asking, can I do this? If, if I do this, if I do this, he'll finally fold. If I do this, he'll finally fold. And God allows that in the life of Job. Jeremiah, you don't have to turn there, but Jeremiah chapter 20. When you read what Jeremiah goes through as a prophet and the, the heart-wrenching pressure on that man as a prophet of God, you go, wow, God, you really are treating your men in a very interesting way. 
to allow them to be in such a tough spot. Remember Stephen? As Stephen was being right in his argument, his argumentation, he walks through the Old Testament and then lands on who Jesus is. This is the Christ. This is who the whole Testament Scriptures has been talking about. So you're going to believe and repent, right? And they start throwing rocks at him until he dies. God puts him in that scenario and lets him be martyred. Beloved, martyrs happen right now. There are brothers and sisters in foreign lands right now who are in prison and who are being treated with incredible torture for the same Jesus that you and I love. That's happening. God's allowing that to take place in their lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I haven't turned to these other illustrations, but I do want to turn to this one. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This goes back to the thorn in the flesh with the Apostle Paul. God allows a thorn in the flesh of this man for the purpose of keeping him humble. Verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Please notice this, guys. God's power is not, the, is not booming and greatly seen in your power. God is, his glory is not seen in your greatness and your gifts. His glory is seen in your weakness. God shines beautifully through a bunch of cracked pots. So verse 10, he says, For the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. So within God's allowing, God lets this come into the life of people, which in those moments, there certainly can be times of testing. Not tempting in the sense that God has a desire to press you into giving up and pressing you into sin. So, what are we praying for? In the first part of this petition, we are asking the Lord to keep us from particular circumstances in which we will be overtaken by the temptation and sin. That's what I'm convinced of, is that what is being said here is, Lord, please protect us from being in certain places where we are tempted with sin, tempted with evil. Guard us from that. And at times the Lord answers yes, and he does guard us from that. At times the Lord will put us in circumstances where we are tempted. But even in that, he provides a way of escape for us to walk out. Please remember this, guys. This is a point that, to be quite honest with you, when I learned this in um, high school, it was a beautiful aha moment. You're not sinning when you're tempted. You're sinning when you give in to your temptation. Because the Lord Jesus Christ was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. So if we say, I'm being tempted, well, then, then number one, 
Take courage because that means you are a child of God. Number one, you recognize there's a temptation going on. You're not just giving in. But number two, this is common to man, we're told in 2 Corinthians. And God does incredible work in his people in the midst of those times where we may be feeling tempted. But nonetheless, in this prayer, Lord, please protect me from those moments of temptation in this world. This fact should not cause us to stop praying this petition, but that we must trust our God in any and every circumstance he allows to come into our lives. Nowhere in the scripture, please catch me on this, you guys, nowhere in the scripture are we encouraged to pray for difficult circumstances that will deeply tempt us to disobey God and that sin with the ultimate goal in resulting for our victory. In other words, I don't pray for difficult circumstances in my life for the sake of God growing me. Now, here's the interesting part. They keep happening. As uh, one theologian said, all one has to do is live long enough and they will suffer. But I don't see anywhere in Scripture where we petition the Lord, Lord, hey, stretch me this week. Tempt me. Put me in a place where I can really struggle so that way I can grow in grace. I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. Rather, I see here a prayer is, Father, would you guard us? Do not lead us into temptation. Do not allow that to come into our life. But even if we do end up in that spot, even if it's by our own doing we end up in that spot, Lord, guard us. Protect us. Remind us of the truth of your word. It's vitally important that we recognize this. The tricky part is that there are no occasions where the Lord answer there are occasions where the Lord answers this request with no. And he does put us in the fire for the sake of refinement. And in that temptation, God reveals himself as well. But this is still the consistent prayer of the believer. Lord, please. I am an in, inadequate, in, in weak individual with struggles coming out of my ears, and I need your grace daily. And what's interesting, and you've probably experienced this in your own prayer life, I would think, it's almost like once you give up, you're strengthened. You catch that? Once you give up, you're strengthened. As long as you hold the line in your flesh, in your strength, I've got this, you're super weak. As soon as you say, I'm fully inadequate and I need your grace, the Lord gives fresh courage, fresh strength. You remember the story where Martin Luther was brought before the panel and they said, Brother Martin, will you recant of what you've written? And in Hollywood, you have Martin Luther stand up and say, you know, unless I'm convinced by scripture or by evident or plain reason, I cannot recant. My conscience is held captive by the word of God. I can do no other. Here I stand. God help me. And that's all they give you. What they don't give you is that in in true history, Luther's first response was, can I have 24 hours to think about this? And guess what he did in his thinking about it? He sought the Lord in his weakness. He he laid himself before the Lord and some some of those prayers are written Uh, of what he said in that moment. In that moment, Luther poured his heart out and saying, 
this, I'm not the man for this. I'm, this is so hard. Why are you doing this? So on and so forth. He gave up his strength before the king, and then guess what happened? The next morning, boom, fresh courage. Why? Because it wasn't his courage anymore. It was the Spirit of God at work in the man to stand strong. And so it's not a matter of us bolstering ourselves up and pull yourself up by your bootstraps. No, get on your knees. Because your power source, the source of your strength, is not you. It's Him. Which is why this prayer, this model prayer, is so consistent in stating our great dependency upon Him. And once we recognize that, lay our lives in front of Him. Beloved, it is incredible how God empowers His people once they finally laid their lives down and given Him the full reign mentally. Now look at the second half of this prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Or another translation is from the evil one, Satan himself. And as one commentator said, you can, you can bounce that around all day long, but to some level the, the, the end result of this equation will be the same. Father, guard me. Guard me from evil. Evil in my own heart, but evil from from powers in this world, Satan, demonic powers, their temptations coming into my life. Within the second half of this petition is the believer's request for God to protect us from evil or the evil one. The farthest back we can go in Scripture to find the beginning of evil is found in the fall of Satan. Because remember, we say, why did Adam fall? Adam was tempted. Well, who was he tempted by? Satan. So was there sin before Adam and Eve fell? Yes, in Satan. Was there sin before Satan? Not that I see anywhere in Scripture. And when the Bible's quiet, I'm trying to be. I want to be quiet where the Bible's quiet and not just keep running off what I think it could be. What we know from Scripture is there it begins with Satan himself. Biblically speaking, we see evil for the first time in Satan. Evil's conception was within the mind of this fallen angel. The fact is, since the fall of Adam and Eve, we are in constant need to be delivered from evil. It's all over the place, and most potently, it's in us. You know who I wrestle with mostly, whose sin I fight most of the time? I almost said Mitch Tingley, but I I won't go there. (laughs) Eve, I love you, brother. It's, It's the guy in the mirror. It's me. It's my indwelling sin that I'm at war with. That's who I'm battling. I don't need Satan's help most of the time, to be honest with you. I can handle this. (laughs) And yet, that evil is all around me. My propensity for it is inside of me. What a temptation and what a struggle, what a fight it is in this life. It's kind of like you walk up to the the batter's box, and they go, strike three. You go, I didn't even swing. Too bad, strike three. Get out of the way. Because it feels at times, I've got the flesh, I've got Satan, I've got the world. How on earth am I going to make this? You won't make this. Jesus Christ and Christ alone has made this in your stead. 
That's the truth of the gospel. Not the silliness that we're Christians because we dress away, talk away, we come into this building on one day a week. That's not a Christian. A Christian is one who is justified, redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. His perfection in place of my badness, my badness pressed on him on the cross, and I am declared innocent by his blood and by his blood alone. There is no other means of salvation. There's no other path, no other way. It is in Christ and in Christ alone. Now, what's interesting is the world responds to that. They go, wow, that's so narrow-minded. And I, the more I struggle and read through the scripture, I can't believe he's made that provision. I'm not surprised that there's one. I'm I'm, I'm not surprised that there's only one. I'm surprised that there's one. I'm surprised that there's a way. But there is. And so this prayer to deliver us is to rescue or save someone from something. We are to look to the Lord for his protection for us. One way God delivers us is his reminding us of the truth of the word of God. Remember specifically in John 17 when Jesus is praying for his disciples and he says, Lord, I pray that you would not take them out of the world, but you'd protect them, keep them in the world and protect them from the evil one. Protect them. And then further down, God, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus is in te- the temptation with Satan. Remember in the garden, right? Um, or not in the garden, in the wilderness. And he's tempting him. He's tempting him. Jesus hasn't eaten. He hasn't drank. And in that, Christ does not say, listen, Satan, I'm God. Beat it. Rather, his response in, I think, to some level, he's giving us an, a, um, an example to follow. His response is the word of the living God to shut the mouth of Satan. What is one of the best ways to prepare ourselves in order to protect us from evil? Memorization of the truth of the word of God getting it clear as crystal in your mind. Beloved, if in this country this book was illegal today and they were all taken away, how much of the Bible do you have between your ears to, get, to keep going as a believer? If the leather and the paper is taken away, do you still have the Word of God tight in your heart? It's one of the very best ways to combat this evil. We battle with the truth. The only offensive weapon we have is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of the living God. We must recognize our total dependency on the Lord for our daily rescue from temptation and sin. And a brief word, because you might have a King James Bible on your lap this morning, maybe, um, because there's a little piece there that's not in mine and probably not in the majority of your translations either, that says, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, quick question. Is that true? It is. It is. Um, The kingdom is God's, the power is God's, the glory is God's, and it's all his forever. Amen. The reason it's not in most of your translation is because in the oldest and what most scholars refer to as, quote-unquote, the best manuscripts, They argue that this was not in the original manuscripts, but added at the end of this prayer later on. Now, there's folks who want to fight about that and lose friendships over that. Have at it, but I don't, I don't, I'm not here to do that. I just want to say that is the truth of that statement, uh, I'm sorry, is that statement truth? 
Yes. Is it in the oldest manuscripts? No. Was it there originally when Jesus gave this? I'm not positive. Do I believe it? With all my heart. So, (laughs) relax. (laughs) So let me kind of wrap this up a little bit, you guys. And I don't just mean this particular um, tenant of this prayer. I want to draw to a close this series. Because it's been heavy on my heart. And as well, if you've been here for the majority of the series or following it, you know that this came out of the blue. And it did come out of the blue, but it came out of the blue, I think, spirit, direction from the Spirit of God and placed very heavy on my heart and, um, and the elders along with me. This concludes our study through this model prayer given to us from our Lord. My desire and prayer through this study has been that we would all grow deeper in our understanding of this prayer, which in turn would deepen our own personal prayer lives. See, my desire was not necessarily that this would deepen our prayer lives as a church corporately. It would be awesome if we do that more. But guys, really, I mean, okay, let's, let's do the best we can to just be completely forthright here. What matters is what you're doing when nobody's watching. That's what matters. Because if, if you're deep in prayer when nobody's watching, you'll find yourself deep in prayer collectively. That's just how it works. The beating of my heart was not, well, I want us to be better prayers when others are watching. <laughs> That's not what was driving this. Guys, as my brother Dennis said in the, in the call to worship, there's so many things happening right now. And there's, there's so much um, pain and division and trials. And I'm convinced that we're not on our way for it to be over soon. I don't use the phrase anymore, get back to normal. I don't anticipate it. And so, deep in my heart, I have to ask the question, okay, as one of the shepherds who brings the word, what what does the flock of God need? What do you need? If I was a, a general and I had a bunch of troops and they're just about to go over a hill to try to take this fort from this other people that they're warring against, the most important thing to me is, okay, what do they need for the fight? What is of greatest value to them? What's, what's a true fighting weapon that's going to bless them and strengthen them in the midst of the battle that they are in? I am utterly convinced one of those tools, just one, is a far deeper prayer life. Because when, if, the Lord sees fit that he allows parts of this book to be hate speech and there's fines and there's imprisonments. And let me just remind you of this, guys, please. If we start experiencing what our brothers and sisters in foreign lands have experienced forever and we actually start to taste what Jesus promised we'd taste, Much of that which takes up our time will be of no value. 
And perhaps a lot that doesn't take up much time in our life will be of greatest necessity. So the, the beating of, my, of our hearts, of our elders' hearts, is we want so badly for our prayer lives when nobody's watching to be truly deepened. And we love you. And we want that in you as well. I texted a dear brother of mine this week, and I told him, you know, it's interesting, preaching is feeling more life and death than it ever has. And I just expect, I anticipate, I'm not prophesying, but I, I anticipate us to put much higher values on some of these truths than perhaps we have in the past in this country. And I'm curious to see what Jesus might do with his church in the rest of my lifetime. Christ sure gave us a gift in unloading this prayer before us. This is a model prayer that should, yes, be here for us corporately. But, beloved, I just want to close by asking you, have you, are you, would you just consider what's going on when nobody's watching in your life between you and God right now? And are you prepared to suffer for him? Father, I thank you for your word.